unsure of how to introduce this week's episode, welcome to Hand of Pod. Autumn is arriving in the leafy central Buenos Aires suburb of Cabachito, where we're sitting out still on the patio of Dan Edwards, also known as English Dan of Gold.com. Hello. And with me, I'm Sam Kelly, hello. Um, with me this evening, as usual, we have Daniel Colasimone, a.k.a. Mystic Dan, a.k.a. Australian Dan of Argentina Football World. Como están, Panchos? <laughs> <laughs> And Mundo Abi Celeste Seba Garcia, a.k.a. Seba Garcia. So now I have to greet everyone in English. He stole my number. <laughs> right, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hola. <laughs> what are we going to talk about first, guys? We, we've got a couple of, uh, of issues. The first, um, if, we, if we talk very, really briefly about the Copa America, is probably the, the main talking point right at the moment, because we discussed a couple of weeks ago about the lack of Japan that there's going to be in this Copa America by the look of it that's, that's an English sentence I've managed to form one lack of Japan yeah I like it in, we're now unsure really they they were said to have officially pulled out yesterday of <laughs> participating in the Copa America and uh, Seb is now saying that he's read something in today's or late did you say that, yeah. that says oh no, they might turn up after all yeah sorry we're recording on Tuesday so yeah, it's looking it's looking to me like they're not going to be there. I don't know if the press release got lost in translation there. <laughs> but it's well, not all, the, all of the Copa America press stuff actually is, is bizarrely. If you go to the website, the default language is English, so it could very well have got lost in translation. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure why they're doing that, but they are. But yeah, the favourites to uh, replace Japan, who would therefore take their their place in a group alongside the hosts Argentina and uh, Colombia and Bolivia, are yes. the same group, aren't they? Probably Costa Rica but uh, they've also invited Canada and AFA president, Tulio Guandona, appears to have very firmly made his decision public that of all of the great things he's done for the good of Argentine football, he's trying to do another one by ensuring Argentina don't win the Copa America by inviting Spain along to take part in it as well. Yeah, so we heard the news yesterday that Japan were, were officially out. Now we're not sure if that's true or not, but following that we, we heard that the most likely candidates we're almost certainly going to be Costa Rica. Canada was the other option. Uh, yesterday it looked like almost certain that Costa Rica were, would be the replacement team. Uh, today we've heard a lot about Spain because the, uh, Vijar, the, what is he, the president of the Spanish Federation, yeah. has been making comments saying, yeah, we, we'd love to come. We owe South American football a lot because of all the great players they've sent us. Uh, personally, I can't see that happening. Yeah, it, not with the A team. Man. No. no. Um, Spain would probably bring a B team or mm. one of the regional national teams that they have, like the Basque Country team, maybe not the It'd be Basque very country. interesting to see Catalonia come actually and see yeah. which side uh, Messi line up for. <laughs> but now on a more serious note, I think from all the people I've talked to in Argentina and kind of personally, I'd love to see Spain come because obviously they're the world champions, the European champions. I'm not sure they could probably claim to be the best team of all time if they were also the South American champions, but it would be fantastic to see all of those players, even though it looks pretty pretty unlikely. 
Yeah, well, as Seba said, though, they're unlikely to send a, yeah. they're unlikely to make sure. these guys play another summer when you know they they played the World Cup last summer and then what was it before that the Euro the Euros <coughs> the, the Confederation Cup the Confederation Cup then the Euros yeah before that yeah. they're very unlikely to send Xavi and yes to all these guys so I they're going to send a B team so you can imagine even if Argentina managed to knock them off it's a no win situation they'd say well it wasn't the, the real Spain team mm. so I mean what I've heard at the moment uh, from guys I work with in goal kind of Argentine guys who've also worked in Spain and they know how the the two FAs work pretty well and Vichar and Grondona are supposedly very very close they're very good friends like they're both kind of pretty high in FIFA and they have a fair amount of control so at the moment I'd say this is more two very kind of very set in their ways very powerful men scratching each other's backs and saying making nice them things set, about each other. saying nice things about each other and making it them making each other look very very good on the world stage yeah I mean obviously what we're saying as well whereas in Argentina we've got the AFA which runs the leagues and the national team in in Spain it's different like they've got the it's the LFP correct the LFP yeah, yeah. and the football association so the fo- football association would the run the national team yeah and then they'd also have to get permission from the LF- LFP to, to release, to release the, the clubs. Which yeah. is where the snag is going to be. Which is where the big snag and also kind of getting clearance from UEFA is going to be non impossible. Yeah, it's sounding like Costa Rica probably the more likely. Yeah. Um, we were saying just before we went on air that possibly they could be invited along in order to make up for the fact that they didn't get to see Lionel Messi last week. Yeah. Which we actually didn't mention because team. that was... It was yeah. played just after we recorded, yeah. But Costa Rica haven't been very happy about that at all this week. They've been threatening, yeah, legal action, I think, kind of compensation from Argentina. They wanted, I'm not sure how it would have worked, but they wanted to send someone over to do some medical tests on Messi to see if he actually was injured. I yeah, guess, because yeah. Because in the end, Messi played on Saturday for Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I think the second half, he came he on. He played then. the second half, but I think it was only because Real Madrid surprisingly, surprisingly lost to Sporting Gijón just couple of hours before mm-hmm. so um, I think if Madrid had won the game against Sporting Messi could have started for Barcelona but then they decided to keep him on the bench and see how things were and then they send him on <coughs> uh, and, and they ended up winning the game with him on the pitch um, so it, it raises a question whether he was really injured for, for the Costa Rica game or not I, I would like to think he was because he's the kind of player that is n- is never happy sitting on the bench yeah. he always wants to play well the thing is it might not have been his decision because he, yeah. he wasn't looking happy sitting on the bench so mm-hmm. yeah you know you never know whether it was an injury or muscle fatigue or whatever they're calling it um. I mean as far as I understood it it was um, he was carrying what I'm not sure what would be the exact translation in English but it was uh, sobrecarga fatigue yeah. yeah kind of a muscle fatigue so yeah. he wasn't necessarily injured but if he did play he would be risking yeah. he would be risking injury so it was it was more arresting than an injury, but for a decent reason. Like I'm sure if this whole kind of situation with the AFA and this supposed deal they've got in place was there, they wouldn't have even mentioned the sobrecarga. Yeah, that was about the most interesting thing to say about the match as well. Other than that, in fact, Aussie Dan and I were watching it in Gibraltar with, with Joel Richards, and uh, the three of us were very disappointed in the camera work of the man who was assigned to Messi. Because on several occasions, the camera flipped over to him on the bench and it became apparent that he'd moved seats. Yeah. Or, the, or at one point, I think he, he, he put a sweatshirt on. Um, and they clearly, the director hadn't spotted this happening and you know we, we weren't able to, to get our bullet in. 
Yeah, it was obviously somebody assigned to just have a camera on Messi the whole, yeah. the whole match. And, and sarcastic as I'm being, I think I would have actually rather watched Lionel Messi sitting on the bench <laughs> for an hour and a half than watch the game. Cause it, was, it was an awful game. <laughs> we didn't awful. learn very much from it, did we? No. You have to clarify that Gibraltar is a pub in Buenos Aires, and, and you haven't actually gone <laughs> no, to... No, we've not been gone. Gone. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, yeah, we, we're not... Uh, no. <laughs> that would have been such a massive trip, yeah. <laughs> just for being English-friendly. Yeah, well, what can we say? We're dedicated. <laughs> would have been easier to go to Costa Rica, to be honest. <laughs> um... But yeah, yeah so there's, there's not an awful lot to, to say about that game. Uh, no, I'm, I'm wondering about the TV TV deals with they had with Japan. Maybe they had an opportunity to show Copa America to a broader audience uh, in Asia and a different market, and whether they should aim to replace Japan with another team from Asia, like South Korea or or even Australia now playing in the in the Asian Confederation. But it looks like it's going to be from the Americas, which is, I think, in my opinion, is, is better. Um, yeah, as, as we've discussed before. When it comes to the football, just the football, and forget about the deals with TV and, yeah. and the, the money the, the money aspect of, of the game. So um, I think it could be... a First step for for Concacaf region for the Concacaf region to integrate better with the with Comebol and maybe yeah. uh, have them participate forever in the Copa America in, in coming editions. Looks like Costa Rica, Canada. For me, it's going to be Costa Rica. I, I doubt Spain is going to come to an end. But we'll see. We'll, no. we'll find out in the next few days. You never know. You might get Hugo Chavez putting in a few good words, well, and Cuba end up getting invited or somebody. That would, <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely be interesting. Stranger things could happen. Possibly. We are, we are talking about Cotmobile after all. Um, moving on to domestic league action, uh, the one really big story that was all over Twitter this weekend was the tragedy of Australian Dan's experience at La Bombonera on Sunday. Tell us about it, Dan. What, what happened exactly and why are you never, ever going back to La Boca? Yeah, um, I wouldn't call it an unexpected tragedy so much, but yeah, decided I, I probably haven't been to La Bombonera in about maybe three years. And the problem is... It's almost impossible to get tickets to La Bombonera. Basically, the only way you can get them is through like travel agencies or uh, sort of hotels, and you're paying, I don't know, five, ten times the cover price of tickets. So it's kind of not an option. Zombie enters the debate. Uh, so, you know, this was Boca Estudiantes, and I thought, all right, you know, for the first time in three years, I'm going to go down. And uh, basically, your option is you go down and you buy a ticket. As you walk to the to the ground, on, I walk to the ground on the day of the, of the game in the morning, and you got all these guys in the in the park in, in La Boca offering you to sell you tickets, uh, which is actually how it went last time, which is about, yeah. yeah, as I said, a long time ago. Uh, last time it worked, but so yeah, I picked up a ticket from one of these guys, uh, paid double the the face value, so it was forty pesos for the face value. I made eighty. I, I went to about three of them, you know, you shop around and get different prices and look at the ticket and uh, it looked. <laughs> it looked alright the ticket and uh, they showed me that sort of the, this thing where you scratch the back of the ticket and there's a black mark and that's supposed to indicate that it's a real ticket and all this so anyway I ended up paying 80 pesos come back later as I was at home I was looking at the ticket and thinking this is not a real ticket <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm going to go nice and early so it gives, gives me time to get home and watch the game if I don't get in so anyway I got through like the various levels of, of uh, security Got through the first one where he did the little test where he scratched it and was, you know the black marks and he let me through. Got through various police barricades. They're not looking so much at the at the ticket, but you know yeah, you have to have a quick look at it. Yeah. yeah. And then when I got to the last door where you actually enter the ground, um, the guy just grabbed it and said, "No, this is a fake." Uh, and he said, "You bought it in the in the park, or you bought it outside the ground, didn't you?" And at first, I sort of denied it. I said, "No, I buy it where I always buy it." And uh, <laughs> anyway, I started arguing with him and he said, "No, it's a fake." And I said. 
eventually I said, yeah, I know it's a fake. Well, I, I did buy it outside the ground, but there's nowhere else to buy tickets. I'm a, I'm a football journalist here. I've been covering football here for several years and haven't been to a Bucky game for years, so how, tell me how I'm, how I'm supposed to get a ticket. And he eventually he sent me to the sort of the, I don't know what you call him, the, the sort of the chief of the, I don't know, the, the doorman or whatever. <laughs> St. Peter, if you will. Martin Palermo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some old guy there, and I talked to him and, you know, told him, you know, I'm a, I'm a journalist, told him the whole story, and uh, he, uh, you guys will probably have experience when you're, you're dealing with dodgy authority figures in Argentina, and <laughs> they can do one of two things, they just completely ignore you, like they don't even acknowledge that you're standing in front of them, yeah. or they, they try to sort of fob you off to somebody else, they say, no, well, you have to, he did a little bit of both, he said, well, you got to, you know, you got to come here early, and I said, you know perfectly well that I can't get tickets anywhere at the ground. And then he ended up saying, well, yeah, we haven't sold tickets for two years to the public. You can't get tickets. And um, I said, well, that's, that's not a very good situation. Is it? No. <laughs> that's it, basically. And I, I left, uh, managed to get home in time to see the game. But, you know, I, I've specifically written uh, for, for other blogs and stuff, for, for travel websites, I've written warnings to people not to buy tickets to the guys <laughs> in the parks. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of these things where you risk it. And I wasn't that worried about losing the 80 pesos. I was... You know, a little bit annoyed at wasting half my day traveling back and forth to La Walker, but yeah. it's one of those things. But yeah, basically, it's uh, it's a bit of a warning for, for tourists or whatever if you're intending to come here and, and watch a Boca game. Uh, your only real option is getting it through your, your hotel or your hostel or whatever and paying five to ten times the, the, the market price. Yeah. Yeah. That's because the club the club wants it that way. They, yep. they yeah. want they want to have the tourists come on a, on a tour, pay extra. They probably get some money. Uh, I'm sure they get surplus. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and this is something that <clears throat> uh, started happening when when Mauricio Macri was the president of Boca. Now he's the mayor of Buenos Aires. He got a lot of power after being mayor of Buenos Aires. Mayor, mayor. Thanks. Yeah, it's like uh, a major sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Caudillo. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he did a lot of good things for the club, uh, which was probably going going in, in the wrong way financially, and he made them big again when it comes to, to financial terms. But at the same time, he changed a lot of the things that were really, really good about Argentine football and, and the atmosphere and, and the culture of going to the ground. And that's one of the things. You can buy tickets on the day for, for Boca uh, matches and not even, not even during the week on, traditional, uh, on the traditional methods that, that we always had. And on top of that, he decided to reduce the, the the amount of tickets that go to the away fans, to to the away uh, away clubs, so you don't get the the, the lovely atmosphere that we had with the, <laughs> the lovely. Yeah. No, I mean lovely in a way that uh, enjoyable. That, that that's what I meant. Um, like the unique atmosphere that we used to have when there was twenty thousand River River Play fans at La Bombonera, and it was. Uh, sensational stuff to, to watch and to witness and you don't get that anymore because River are getting tops 2,000 or yeah. 4,000 tickets it's about 4,500 in, yeah. in the top because basically it used to be the whole south or north end like the away end used to be full of away fans now oh, they yeah. just oh, get the top, top tiers, tier yeah. Yeah. yeah they used to be the three uh, tiers then two yeah. And now it's only part of one, the top one. Which, they, for whatever reason, actually, is pretty much standard. I mean, I don't want to bl bl blame Boca too much for this because now it's, I think, that standard for all of the big five, as you yeah, say. Yeah, no, but the thing is, when, when, when Macri started it, 
then yeah. they said okay River said okay we're gonna do the same to you when you visit the Monumental yeah. and then Racing did the same and Independiente yeah. and now they all went with the easy way out of saying okay you're doing this is I uh, yeah, yeah. with an eye with an eye and, and that is uh, not helping the the atmosphere uh, at the ground yeah. which is why it, uh, to change the subject only slightly I'm really looking forward to the visit I've got this weekend I'm going as an away fan with Racing to Huracan which is probably one of the only big kind of traditionally big bowl stadiums that opens the whole end of the ground up to the away fans and there should be they about don't in fact have any choice of course because it's all one of course, enormous yeah. tier all but the way around yeah. so. but there should be about nine, ten thousand racing fans yeah. like and it's, it's better because yeah, in some grounds you get kind of three, four thousand tickets and yeah. obviously you know inside you feel brilliant there's always like everyone's the same as every as always singing but yeah, it, yeah you kind of do lose that whole kind of the feeling and yeah, that's, the, that's um, the reason why you see so many stadiums with the with the whole end that is empty and the fans corralled in one yeah. end of that tribune. And, and, and the other bizarre thing that they, they often do, particularly at, um, at one or two of the stadiums, I'm trying to remember which ones, because I always see it on television and remember, it, actually they do it at Tigre Stadium, because I remember we saw it when we went to see Tigre Kilmes last year, um, in Australia and done, is that often the, the police or the security people on the gate or whoever won't let the Barra Brava in until like half time at some of the grounds. Yeah. Which means that for the first half, you basically have... <laughs> <coughs> 20 or 30 fans kind of scattered around the area who, who aren't, you know, very much, you know, doing much in the way of singing or anything at all. It's just, it's, it's very kind of quiet. And then at half time, all of these fans steam in who've been standing outside the ground on the street yeah, for, with their drums yeah, for the duration the of the first half. And, and it, it, it takes some dedication in a way, though, to follow an away team when you know you're not going to be allowed in until <laughs> half time. That, that, is, that is traditional. And when I, I remember when I was uh, I, probably seven or eight, I went with some family to watch uh, River. It was River Gimnasia at the Monumental. I had no interest in, in, in the result, but I went along. And we found we, we bought some plateas, lower tier, really ne near the, the touchline, and we were really enjoying it, first half. And then second half, they opened the, the doors, and all of these criminal-looking <laughs> guys started sitting around us, and it was really scary for a bit. But yeah. that was the tradition. They, they were... They went to the to the ground and they waited f until half time and then they opened the, the doors for everyone. And so, so you saw more you saw more fans in the, in the stands in the second half than in the first. So out of interest, ever why why do they do that? Because I don't know. We, we've we've talked about violence in Argentine Stadia before. We've we've all written about it as well for our blogs, I'm sure, at some point. But it seems to me that if it, you know in, in England, for instance, where it isn't a problem anymore, it, if the security forces wanted to absolutely guarantee a riot at a football game or outside a football ground then the best way they could do it would be to stop all the away fans on the way into the ground and go no we're not listening until half time why does it happen so frequently in Argentina? I don't know and this was and, and the also they, you know it's but when it's, it's not remarked on and it, it normally doesn't cause riots so you're saying that they're, they're letting them in free at half time yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah, open yeah, the yeah. gates right. that was like a measure to to <clears throat> help the the lower class enjoy football anyway and I don't know if it makes any sense to to keep them waiting for the second half before the second half starts but it was a it wasn't the kind of fan who went to the ground just to cause problems yeah. they just wanted yeah. to see foot to see football and I was scared of them but they did nothing in the end but um, yeah. it was a funny situation and it happened in many many grounds yeah. it happened at Racing uh, uh, but when you see it when you see it today I mean I've, I've seen it a few times where it's very definitely been the Barra being let in at half time mm -hmm. and presumably they've got tickets you know whether they've paid for them or not of course is another matter but the Barra never have any, any difficulties getting 
getting a ticket. So they must be just being held back. I think it's sometimes a thing to do with maybe the batter themselves wanting to make a statement. Yeah, like, yeah, like they like to make. Yeah, a they kind of really think if they miss the first half and then just come in, you know, they've had forty minutes, forty-five minutes more time to like prepare and get their previo going with, you know, whatever substances make them tick. Yeah, keep drinking. <laughs> and a bit then they can really come in and yeah, make a <laughs> make a make a splash at half time. I think yeah, I don't think it's met so much. They're they're not let in. I think in these cases it's they choose and. They're happy to kind of like stay outside, bang their drums outside, and then flood in. Mm-hmm. Talking about visiting fans would actually bring us on nicely to the uh, some of the results from this weekend in the league because it, it's been a feature really for most of the season, but it's really been noticeable this this particular weekend the number of away wins that we've had. Hmm. Should we first mention the the Boca game? Let's, yeah, I mean yeah. Dan's already mentioned uh, his experience trying to get into the Boca game. Boca ended up shock the big, big result of the of the weekend, um, winning that one. 2-1 it happened because I put uh, one English pound on Estudiantes or the draw um, after and Boca won it yeah, I mean, it, yeah exactly which I knew was going to happen as well the way the second half was going I thought they're going to win yeah, this. They, were, they were good for their win weren't they? they they deserved it yeah, yeah. Uh, Riquelme he had the best game I've seen in I don't, it seems like two years no, I have to say as well and I said this on Twitter and I said it again in the comments section of, of my blog I thought the same could be said of Boca as a whole that, that was the best I've seen Boca play as a team for yeah. a year and a half. Yeah, possibly a related yeah. fact. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, because they, when, they, when they won their previous two matches... Shut up, zombie. Or you want to say something? <laughs> when they won their previous two matches, Boca, but they, they beat Colón without, pray, without playing brilliantly. Uh, and when they beat Racing in the second week, they were the, the second best team lucky. that night. Uh, but this time, I think... It was really deserved, and, and Boca had a goal disallowed. They they won it in the last minute, but they and should have won it earlier. Well. It was a legitimate. Yeah, goal the Estudiantes were surprisingly flat. Um, it was yeah, built as sort of um, Verón versus Riquelme before the game. Verón yeah. was very very quiet. Um, I, I thought in hindsight it occurred to me Estudiantes had a trip to Colombia. They played Tolima yeah. on Thursday. Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday. I think it was Thursday night last Thursday. week, and and they got a draw there, which meant that they've qualified for the second round of the Copa Liba. Sorry for the third round because the group stage is the second round officially of the Copa Liba. The door is the first knockout round. The round was sixteen, and it's, it's a very long season. flight. Plus, they had the result they need, and I wonder, I wonder whether that had just kind of uh, yeah. euphemistically, let's say, relaxed them a bit for that, that time. That was the only, expl- and it was only in hindsight that I thought of it as well. Yeah, I because the yeah. they looked really, they, they didn't were look tired. up for it at all. They were tired. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to say, like, um, although they've been getting results, I haven't been really impressed with the Estudiantes this year compared to what they were last year. I mean, obviously they're fighting for the two tournaments, and they have a different manager too. They got a different manager, yeah, and. They've been winning games, like, I think probably the best example was the Racing game. Mm. And they weren't playing well, I mean, they were very tight at the back and they don't give you much space, but... Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they, they grind out results, that's yeah, that's what, what they've always done, I mean, like, about, yeah. that's why they're such a good team, because yeah. they, they don't have to be playing well, and they're really good at taking their chances. Mm. And, it um, does make you wonder when they're going to have a result at some point where they really kind of catch fire, though, because particularly when they've won championships in recent years, it seemed to me that they've kind of plodded along looking like this and then they've had some result at some point where they've you know finally opened up and thrashed somebody and then that's been it they've you know yeah. they've almost been away at that point well just their formation looked a little flat they had like uh, Enzo Perez playing more as like an, almost an enganche behind one striker he looked nowhere near as good as when he's sort of jetting in from, from either either wing and then Veron being very flat as well. It's, that, that one is intriguing because the new manager Eduardo Berizzo is, um, is one of Bielsa's yep. um, 
disciples, yeah. and uh, he's been he hasn't been getting results in the, in the first couple of matches. And when he tried to to implement his tactics, his tactics, and I think he's reverting to what Sabella was doing with mm -hmm. this. And these players, they know very well how to do it. Uh, having only one striker and, and not having the, the the wingers attack so much, mm -hmm. and the the, the, the vertical uh, approach of the game is not very Bielsa-like. And mm -hmm. uh, I wonder whether he's. Yeah, but I don't think it's particularly like Sabella either, because Sabella always had Enzo Perez and somebody else. Supporting, say, for example, <laughs> Gaston Fernandez, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, who was like a, a false nine, yeah. and th th that didn't look like that formation. Before that, he, before that, Sabella had uh, Mauro, Mauro Bocelli, yeah. who is now in, okay. in Italy, and, and, yeah, that, and now, yeah. and now uh, Hernan Rodrigo Lopez is a different kind of player to Gaston Fernandez. He's more like yeah. Mauro Bocelli, maybe. Yeah, so it's, that's interesting to see how Berizzo is going to uh, be coping with this uh, du du duality of uh, his favorite tactic that is not working so far and the tactic that Estudiantes used to be playing with before he arrived. Yeah, because I felt in the first few games the, the players were on autopilot basically doing what they'd been doing last season and they were playing well. Yeah. And now, yeah, there's a bit of confusion. Yeah, but let's not take anything away from Bocca's performance because it was, it was uh, as, as yeah, we've already it said, was. it was very good um, and inspired by, after Estudiantes took a very early lead through Rodrigo Lopez, inspired by a second brilliant free kick in we seven didn't days. Result, did we? It was 2-1 to Estudiantes. Yeah, um, from Juan Román and 2-1 to Yeah. It was another good free kick. It wasn't quite as good as last week's, but then, frankly, what free kick I was brilliant. was. <laughs> it wasn't as original as last week's, but it was yeah. superb free it, it was kick. much more of a kind of orthodox... 25 yards in front of goal, bang straight in the top corner. And um, once again, and uh, still cracking. Martin Palermo was substituted. I think now he's broken his record for the number he of minutes. He has equaled yeah. his record. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing exactly. coincidence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 748 minutes. So he, he, if he scores in the first, because he will start again. He uh, needs to score in the first minute. The first <laughs> minute like. Yeah, it's um, uh, an anonymous source at Boca Juniors has tipped Hunter Pot off today. Saying that she she was in work today and heard mutterings along the lines of it was a very good performance yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a great win. I think that was because Palermo got subbed off because it was Viatre, his replacement, who scored the winning goal in the last yeah, minute um, with a really good header. Really good, well. Yeah, I, I, I actually tweeted um, when it went in. The, the commentators started screaming about what a fantastic goal it was, and I think I put something on Twitter saying it was about 50 centimeters in front of the goal. Is they're getting a bit excited about it, and then they they showed the replay, and it actually was a kind of towering diving yeah diving in front of the, the last defender kind of thing and yeah. getting his head in there the cross was great from Pablo Mochi he doesn't do mm. many <laughs> great things but that one was really really good also yeah. Biatri has a really odd shaped head he's got a long <laughs> you know like if you think about yeah. uh, Abraham Simpson a long kind of head that reaches a point and what, what about the hairstyle because he's been known to be visiting hairdressers in the past yeah it's a cliche that I hope to one day be able to repeat if he gets sold to a European club and I get an excuse to write an article about him I'm going to say now he's a tricky customer <laughs> and if, if you know what we're talking about now we won't explain it but the first person to to tweet one of the hand of pod team with what we're, re what we're referring to there will win a metaphorical pat on the back from all four of us um, I'll give them a friend if they, if they show up and <laughs> if they show up with a legit Boca ticket for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There you go. How, how can you say no to that offer of Fernet from Australia now? I think Boca deserved for us to be talking a lot of, uh, about them because mm. they beat the, one of the leaders. Yeah. And the other leader, Samuel, you will be really happy to talk about. I, I was, yeah. It, it was uh, an interesting result 
obviously at La Bombonera and it was one that allowed um, it was actually the last game of the weekend but it meant after the earlier matches that Estudiantes are now joint top with River Plate on oh, 15 really? points I wasn't expecting to be saying this halfway through the the, the campaign River won 1-0 away to Quilmes it wasn't a brilliant performance it was dominant and I thought they deserved the win but one thing that was definitely the case was that the winning goal was Similar. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as, lovely, as, lovely. as me and uh, and Seba eventually, uh, Seba managed to convince me via Twitter when I had done my own research based on something he said that it was about maybe five centimeters <laughs> offside. Albeit, yeah, I mean, impossible for the linesman to call, but it was sublime. It, it was. Talk us through the, the eight passes. Uh, I'll forgive Sam. the linesman. <laughs> I'll forgive the linesman because it was so beautiful. The goal. Yeah. He, he, there's no way he should have. Call it, for, call it for outside yeah, as, as Australian Dan says it was an eight, eight pass move inspired by Eric Lamela um, 25 touches Ole said yeah, yeah. And, and with Matias Almeida the, the veteran also at, at the centre of it and um, uh, the, the really you know the good thing for me watching it as well was that it wasn't one of the, normally if you see a lot of passes strung together it's kind of across the pitch kind of edging towards the goal and then a couple of brilliant touches but it was you know they had it near the halfway line and then just started just kind of pinging it it yeah. is also rapid as well. It happened so quickly. That was that was the really astonishing thing about it. And then Pablo Ferrari, uh, the right back, uh, who I think still now over the last twelve or fifteen months is is River's leading goalscorer <laughs> that period, um, with a diving header at the end to to put Eric Lamela's cross in. It was a brilliant goal, and the performance as a whole was, um, like I said, it was kind of uh, there were moments of brilliance, but not it wasn't sustained. But they deserved the win, and I remember going to see. During the Apertura, I saw the the fixture that this was the reverse of River Quilmes at the Monumental, and in that game as well, River were winning one 0 I think Mariano Pavone scored the goal then, fairly early on in the second half, if I remember rightly. Dominated the entire game. Quilmes hardly had anything, and then Quilmes scored with the header from a free kick, literally with like the last touch of the game uh, uh, to get a one-one draw. Was it Canel, the former yeah. Boca player? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, who celebrated like mad, obviously in front yeah. of Los Borrachos del Tablón, Rivers Barabaraba. Yeah, so that was kind of you know that really felt like a kick in the teeth being in the stand seeing that, and then this this weekend the fact that they managed not to repeat that, I think they're definitely looking more solid now under under JJ Lopez. Yeah. Um, uh, about the goal, I think uh, I read somewhere that the only I haven't seen it. Uh, I, I've, I've seen the goal, but I haven't seen it in, in so much detail. But apparently the only player who didn't touch the ball in that build-up for, for the goal was the goalkeeper, Juan Pablo Carrizo. All the other ten, all the ten field players touched it. It reminded me of, of Argentina against Serbia-Montenegro in oh, yeah, 2006, yeah. the Cambiaso goal. Yeah. I think it was as many touches. They had a, but, uh, as many as touches. Sam said, in this case it was all... Heavy, like that, that Serbia yeah. goal, it was like, you know, <coughs> touch, pass it around for a while, pass it back a little bit, and then eventually yeah. uh, built up pace and... A few nice little touches at the end, of back heel, and then Cambiasso scored. This one was like all touches with, with intent. It was all yeah. no, not, of course, that we would like to draw comparisons between Kilmes' defence and that of Serbia <laughs> Montenegro, which had qualified for that World Cup by conceding one goal in 14 games. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was brilliant. And um, in fact, Kilmes uh, mentioned this really briefly since we're summing up the results, really. But Kilmes uh, being the opposition of course the bottom of the table and this gives us an excuse to mention the the closeness of the table at the moment between Estudiantes and River who are joint top with 15 points we've now played 8 games which is basically half of the championship and Arsenal de Sarandi are 6 points off the lead they've got 9 points and they're down in 16th place <laughs> so they're only 2 wins behind and then you know they're, they're 7 points ahead of Gilmes who are, who are bottom so between 1st and 16th of a 20 team table it's all really tight at the moment 
Um, you know, God knows who's going to win it because you've got, I think, three or four teams on 14 points. We should mention Racing, who lost again. Yeah, and are kind of in free fall. They've lost three, three in a row. Three matches in a row. Still, they're only at the same time three points away yeah. from the top. Yeah, and yeah. I'm seen... a bit of a you know optimist at heart. <laughs> so I look at this three points. I don't look at the fact we've lost three games in a row. I look at the three points and think. And Just Tegan on the weekend. Still, yeah. Thank you. It was two one, wasn't it, or three one? Two one. Two one. Two one. Yeah. Yeah. But Racing lost half their matches. Four out of eight, yeah. out of eight matches. They won the other the other four, which helps them to be. In a, uh, uh, like with with some expectations uh, yet, but uh, I think the clausura, the best way to describe it for me is like this is a league with, in, in which anybody can beat anybody, and Kilmes can't beat nobody, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, the only way to to describe it. But I'm thinking also about Racing. We we discussed it a couple of weeks ago uh, when they should have had a Teofilo Gutierrez goal. Uh, if that goal stood against Estudiantes, Racing would still be top, even. Yeah, losing a couple of, of, of mm. matches after that, which which means that the league is really really close as we've been saying. And but now Boca and Independiente they started really really badly and now they're only five points behind the leaders. And it's interesting for San Lorenzo they have a game in hand and they could yeah San Lorenzo and Vélez of course but have to play yeah. 83 minutes of that game still. So it's, is it's really, really wide open. Vélez deserve a mention as well because they're looking, they're kind of being a little bit sneaky, but they're looking really good. I mean, they've yeah. won, what, four in a row now? No, they, they beat Olimpo now away 2-1 before that they, they beat Boca and River in consecutive weeks mm-hmm. then they had this uh, San Lorenzo game called off right. with yeah. Abandon they lost for to all boys, boys I think that might be the only one right. they lost in the second good. round against yeah. all boys yeah. 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 And so they'll like Estudiantes they'll have um, distractions from the Copa Libertadores uh, but uh, yeah they're, they're looking really good as well mm-hmm. so but I had a question actually, going back to what we were saying about the closest of the tournament, because I happened to read Clarín, which is the biggest newspaper in Argentina, and they actually had a special on this, um, I think they went for the top 15 teams rather, yeah, between whom there are five points, Yeah. and they went through every single team, like what they're doing good, what they're doing bad, and their kind of, their tagline for the, for the article was like, the closest of the league, is it exciting, or... Is it just kind of pitiful play? <laughs> and a bit of both. It's a bit of both, yeah. Like I'd say, I'm kind of the over the overwhelming logic in Argentina, from what I've seen, is that everyone thinks when when it is really close and anyone can win it. As we were talking about just before we started recording, uh, the last eight championships before the Estudiantes win of 2010 were won by eight different teams. And without repeating like and eight different repeating, teams yeah. Yeah. still eight different teams yeah. and yeah the kind of logic here is that because so many teams are winning it it means that the quality has gone kind of through the floor and it's really poor hmm. and yeah it seems to be the logic here is that if Boca and River aren't kind of winning right. it every year and dominating it somehow means the league is doing awfully yeah which ties into a question actually that I got asked on Twitter today um, which was whether the big five in Argentina effectively are disappearing and whether I, I think it was something along the lines of you know with with European clubs scouting increasingly the the small in inverted commas clubs as well, and players not tending to go through River or Boca say before going on to Europe, but being sold straight from right. Lanús or or Banfield. you know Banfield or, or whomever, and going straight to Europe from there. Whether that's evening things out, and I think it un- undoubtedly on the pitch it is, 
But even so, you know, the Big Five definitely still are the Big Five. Uh, I mean, that's a traditional thing that's already been set in stone for the last kind of 50 years. Uh, The media have been caught referring to them as the Big Five. So I don't think that's going to change as such. Yeah, Yeah, the the Big Five, they they were born when, when... Football was getting organized and becoming professional, and Around they said, the "Okay, right. yeah." And they say, "Okay, uh, the clubs that have uh, don't quote me on the figures, but just you, you'll get an, an idea. The clubs that have like twenty thousand members, or or um, and have won the league at least five times, and have won whatever. Like th- again, don't quote me on the numbers because they might be way off." But they, they, in order for a team to be considered one of the big clubs in, in Argentina, they had to... Meet those criteria. Exactly, yeah, meet the criteria, thanks. I was struggling to find the words there. And so the teams that had all the requisites they needed were Boca River, Independiente, Racing and, and San Lorenzo. Which also, presumably, therefore, coincidentally, happened to be the five clubs who shared the league title between them, between the advent of professionalism in 1931, right up to the Antes won the title in 67, was it? So yeah, for, yeah. Like the first 36 years, they were the only, or the first 36 years of professional football in Argentina. Those five were the only five clubs to win the yeah. And basically, the reward for them was to get two votes in every meeting they had at the AFA. So they started; they were already powerful, and they started to enhance their their power through this method. But so so the th- the thing is, Estudiantes, Vélez, they all had a, a period of greatness, mm-hmm. and it happened in in different decades. But they will never be regarded as the big no. I, inside the big five or replace a team in the big five here's because that's the tradition and it's here's a question sir does that voting structure still exist today i wouldn't yeah. know for sure no right. uh, i i'm sorry to disappoint you i don't i don't know it i don't know for sure no because I, I i think from some of the stuff i've read the impression i get is that it's now one club one vote yeah. for the primera and then the others have representatives but i couldn't actually you know as i said i can't be sure on that so it wouldn't surprise me if that is still no, every time every time someone like Belez wins the title you, you you hear again like calls for like where where the sixth yeah, grande with it. And Huracan has a point Huracan too. Huracan because of the the, in the amateur era and the, and the amount of support that they have. But yeah, no, but the thing is, is it's like this: is there's always going to be these five teams, and um, their support is bigger than all of the rest. And uh, it's, it's it's never a case of like, for example, Vélez winning 20 consecutive leagues. It's never going to be considered. Uh, I- among the traditional big five, yeah, uh, it's they, they could be the best team in the country, but not not inside the big five. It's it's a different emphasis as well than the kind of a similar phrase that you might hear say in Britain, in England, where you know Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Liverpool, for several seasons up until just recently, were referred to as the big four because they finished in the top four positions for a few years running and stuff. But before that, you know, before Roman Abramovich arrived at Chelsea, it was Man United and Arsenal being the big two and then Chelsea joined them because of Abramovich's money and then Liverpool had a few good seasons and so it kind of changes each year and you know if Man City probably finish in the top four for a couple of seasons running and Liverpool drop out then the media will be calling they'll still be saying the big four but they'll be referring to different clubs in Argentina yeah. the big five is always the same five yeah, clubs yeah. but they um, top or bottom or yeah, right yeah, because that's the point because exactly they're big now, clubs I mean, they're not Successful necessarily, but they are—they're the big clubs, big which is the, what, what they're actually talking. In about. England, it's more figuratively speaking. It's not—it's yeah. not like an entity. This is the—this is an entity. Five teams that will always be the big five. Yeah. 
it doesn't matter how badly they do and even if they're relegated they're going to be big anyway yeah which it seems to be a good excuse to, to ask how the other uh, three of the big five who we haven't sorry the other two of the big five who we've not mentioned yet we've already talked about Racing's result Boca and Rivers games how did Independiente and San Lorenzo get on I can't in, remember Independiente very very much against the round of play they won uh, in, La in La Plata I'm not being biased <laughs> I watched the game I watched it entirely they had um, they, they they started better than Gimnasia couldn't, couldn't score didn't didn't create enough chances then Gimnasia scored and it looked like as if they were going to win it and it was a big important match for Gimnasia to try to escape from the relegation zone and they hit the post when they were 1-0 mm. and they wasted a lot of chances and then in the second half there was a low cross from the left and Gaston Cesar which is Gimnasia's uh, goalkeeper, Gimnasia's goalkeeper but, uh, I don't have an explanation on why <laughs> he's still uh, playing in the first division I and mean, he's He's famous for committing so many mistakes, and he had yet another one. He allowed Silvera to score in front of, a, of an empty net, and then in the last kick of the game, Independiente scored a second, and it was the first time for Independiente. Before, uh, last time they won it was in '95. Last time they beat Gimnasia away in La Plata uh, at the stadium, the El Bosque, the forest. Yeah. And, but last time it was pretty important too because Gimnasia they were playing for the for the league title and Independiente beat them 1-0 and it was a goal from Javier Mazzoni and now one of uh, Estudiantes supporters club is called Javier Mazzoni who never played for Estudiantes <laughs> he played for Independiente and denied Gimnasia of a, of a league title in 95 and he became a cult figure in, at, his, at Estudiantes Gimnasia famous in Argentina for supposedly never having won the first division title in fact they won an amateur title in 29 yeah. but even Himnasia themselves never point that out when people claim that they've never won the title yeah and then they won they won an official competition that is not a league title yeah, the Copa, um, Centenario, Copa really. Centenario in 93 which was kind of an FA Cup kind of tournament and uh, they won it they beat River Plate in the final but yeah Independiente won uh, and it was I think it was the, the, the decisive win for Independiente and the three points they needed to stop forgetting about the relegation table and, yeah. the, and the point average because the ones below them are really really uh, really really bad at the moment well yeah e either really bad or just having to to tread water furiously just to stay afloat I mean one of the points that JJ Lopez the River Plate manager made today was that you know, the River are joint top of the league in the Clausura, but in the relegation table, all it takes is Olimpo or All Boys to win a couple more games. And, you know, as we've mentioned many times before, because those two teams are having their points divided over fewer matches, they will leapfrog Huracan and River and, and Tigre and the other sides who are down there. Um, but every time they lose a match, it has a bigger right. impact, yeah, too. So it's a yeah. kind of a tricky situation. In for fact, the, the relegation table at the moment, we've obviously got Kilmes rock bottom uh, Gimnasia the other team yeah. in, uh, in, in the automatic relegation spots and then it's all boys and Olimpo mm -hmm. I think both with exactly the same point average so far they've got something like 24 points from 25 games or something like that over the season uh, who are in the two relegation playoff places at the moment and Urakan looking very nervously over their shoulder yeah, yeah. Urakan somebody else and then River and, and someone else are, are tied as well but you know a few points ahead of them yeah. it might be independent actually yeah how did San Lorenzo get on? I, I, I actually have to say, I, this weekend I've had a tremendously lazy weekend and I, I managed to watch 
I think nine of the ten matches wow. I, I was I, I watched on television this weekend. But as a result, I can't remember what happened in any <laughs> of them because they've all merged into one. I, well, you got pointed at your results. Remember. I go, oh, I remember that goal now. It was really good. But I, I'm buggered if I can think of it for myself. Uh, well, Sam, we can excuse you for the San Lorenzo one because that was the one that kicked off at the same time as. Of River. course, that's why I didn't see yeah. it. Yeah, that's why and I saw nine of them. The Cuervo lost two one away from home to Colón. At home. At uh, home. Colón were they? away from home. Ah, okay, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Colón had to be away from Again, home because they weren't going to win if it had been exactly. at home, as we've already discussed. With, this. <laughs> it was with, with two crosses from the right or yeah. the left, if you're uh, looking at, at it from the San Lorenzo perspective. Colón's right. Yeah. Colón's right yeah. and San yeah. Lorenzo's left. Two same. Fantastic headers from Lucas Acosta. Yeah, amazing, mm. amazing. Yeah. Great stuff from him. But it was the same way Racing scored two yes. against San Lorenzo <laughs> who was at the Nuevo Gasol. Who was the San Lorenzo left, left back? Placente um, is not playing. Placente didn't play. Uh, that was a that's a tough question. Uh, play, uh, top of my head, I yeah. can't remember. Uh, exactly you, as far as you're aware, my, could it have been the same left back who who considered those two harassing? Because it seems to be a weakness for them. You're right. It, it's uh, it is. It's clearly it clearly is because San Lorenzo they had the chance to go top and they would be like the, the the only leader in the table with one game in hand. Yeah. So it was a massive result for, for Colón to, to win away. They continue to win away and lose at home. Uh, that is a trend in this uh, Clausura tournament for m many... Uh, including Racing. Including Racing. Yeah. From many, many teams. Yeah. Uh, and, and going back, in fact, to, which was something I mentioned earlier when we started talking about the league, <coughs> this, this weekend it was something like, of the ten games, we had Boca won at home. There was a nil-nil draw between Lanús and um, All Boys, and, and All Boys, and if I'm not mistaken, Cruz won at home. Yeah, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, something like six of the rest of the matches, six yeah. of them were away wins. Yeah. Uh, you had River, Colón, Tigre, as we mentioned, Tigre against Racing, Independiente, um, and and some others as well. Yeah. Literally, no wonder some matches. Mystic Dan has his, his powers tested so much every week. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. The stars aren't, aren't smiling on you. Has to be the no. most difficult league to predict. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, that, that seems actually like a very, very smooth segue into your section, Dan. So I'm going to put the microphone down for a second. I'll stick some music on for our listeners and we'll go and refill our glasses of Fernet. First up we have, well, Mamitas, this is a, a big game, we have Estudiantes, San Lorenzo, I've gone for the, the Cowards twice here and I've gone for a draw. Then I've gone for Godoy Cruz uh, to win away to Independiente, Colón Olimpo a draw, Arsenal to beat Quilmes at home. I keep picking Racing and <laughs> they keep letting me down but I'm picking Racing to win away to Huracán, draw River Banfield. <laughs> Argentinos to beat Gimnasia, Tigre All Boys have gone for a draw, Vélez to beat Newells All Boys, and Lanús to beat Boca. Um, Lanús to beat Boca, wow. I'm fascinated to know why you feel one of your own predictions is an interesting one. <laughs> you can tell how much effort I put into this. Yeah. Um, yeah. to, to be clear, are these tarot cards again, or tea leaves, or is this... this, uh, this is did you wake up this morning with this mysteriously scribbled next to your bed, or...? <laughs> this is to do with the, the Chinese zodiac, the okay. year of the rabbit. Right. We're, we're still waiting for the prediction based on finding something written on your wall in your own blood when you... Well, that was the, the first week, and then ah, right. it didn't turn out. Uh, I got four out of ten. Yeah, yeah, probably go back to I that. usually get four out of ten. Yeah. What was how, last how was last week? Yeah. I, I don't know, I think it probably four out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> 
but that's the, the default so so one of your predictions could in fact be that you'll get four out of ten this week yeah and then it probably wouldn't happen no well, either, that or, you'd end, either that or you'd end up with five out of eleven um. <laughs> so according to this Argentinos are going to stay as the only unbeaten team in this crazy league I don't know what did I say yeah. you say you, you said they were going to beat Gimnasia if I'm, if I'm not wrong that's right that's yeah we were talking about yeah. last week I think you predicted Banfield to beat them I did yeah and, yeah and in fact they won the surprising the results I thought at least uh, yeah but yeah I, I picked them to beat yeah, uh, it, was ju- it was just my, my effort to try and bring Argentinos <laughs> to the table because yeah. we we kept uh, ignoring them and I think it's time to talk about them definitely. yeah yeah. It's they're, they're, uh, they won away at the Banfield on Friday night mm. and they're the only unbeaten team as I said before it's a shame that they kept drawing a lot of matches and yeah. Yeah. they have three wins and five draws yeah. they're, they're just below Estudiantes and, and River uh, one point behind them have you guys been that impressed with them? Or like I have, I mean, I have. You guys kind of half agreed with me last week when I, I thought that Banfield might knock them off. Uh, mm. But but that's because Banfield are, are also a good team yeah. and they, they could yeah. they could be anybody at mm. home especially. And the craziness as well with the way that it's going is that as we've mentioned the league is so tight at the moment that you know the team in 16 six points behind the leaders it's perfectly conceivable that Argentinos could finish the season unbeaten but you know somewhere down in mid-table if they happen to draw a few more games and, yeah. and stop winning quite so frequently it's, it's really you know which makes you wonder whether anybody's done that before if, if any of our listeners <laughs> know of a team who finished a season or, or at least a, a short season campaign you know, unbeaten, but, but but relatively low down the championship. Please, please let us know. Well, to my, to I, my I've understand- heard of it happening to teams who finish maybe second or maybe third on occasion, but that's about the lowest I think. Of I think Estudiantes, but way back in time, maybe mm. in the 80s or 70s, I think they finished the league undefeated, but they were second because the first team was right. also undefeated and had more wins. Yeah. And if I'm not wrong, I think the only one undefeated, uh, the the only team that. Go, uh, gone undefeated for for a clausura or an apertura for a short, tourna- short tournament was San Lorenzo uh, under Pellegrini I think yeah, they, they won the league and undefeated yeah. I think they won the league undefeated and they were the only undefeated team maybe yeah, the only un- maybe undefeated River. teams in history are I think Boca, San Lorenzo and, and Ferro uh-huh. <laughs> so for short tournaments I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody yeah. ha- happens to meet the criteria here of <laughs> I think you're right because that Pellegrini team went something like 21 games unbeaten if you included the, the half season before it I think uh, 11 I think wins in a row something like that it yeah, was I, I seem to remember crazy. that um, it was either one of the River teams when I first started following Argentine football when River was still quite good or it might have been one of the Boca teams came really close no no, it wasn't it was um, Ramon Diaz's San Lorenzo team when he won the league with them the first time came really close to that record and Boca's uh, one of uh, uh, Bianchi's Boca two seasons they obviously didn't yeah. go at, at half a season yeah, this the longest the, the longest unbeaten run was uh, famously of that uh, Racing Club of '66. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they went 39 matches unbeaten until River beat them 2-0. But then Boca under Bianchi they managed to go one more uh, game undefeated. So there were 40 matches undefeated, but that was under Bianchi. And yeah, so I'm but sure the most famous was. Uh, with Ferro in, in 82 the undefeated uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there. of course certainly the most famous in Cabachito yeah, yeah. So, which is where we are at the moment yes. yeah, yeah they, they did uh, also uh, they did manage a couple of uh, full seasons without a win maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'm it's not sure the cosmic balance, <laughs> yeah. uh, regarding the games that this week that we've heard Dan's predictions about well, well I I hear are there what any you guys think about um, Estudiantes San Lorenzo it's a 
yeah, I'd go along with a draw. They're going to cancel each other out, I think. They're, yeah. both, they're two teams that are, despite what we saw this weekend, fairly fairly tight at the back. I can see them cancelling each other out for a draw. I'm going, I'm leaning towards Estudiantes mm-hmm. bouncing back from defeat at, at yeah, La Bombonera. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Estudiantes are the slightly more likely victors of that game, but it, a draw is probably, probably a, a fair prediction. If, if, if anyone wins it, I think it'll be Estudiantes, but I think it is most likely to, to be a draw. The, the other one, the interesting one, was uh, Lanús-Boca. Yeah. You I, predicted I, Lanús. I said Lanús, what, what do you guys think? Hard to, hard to predict Lanús of yeah, very hard to predict. Yeah, yeah. Every team in, in Argentina is hard to predict. Yeah. But Lanús, they could beat Racing 4-1, could lose to Godoy Cruz, mm. which is not a bad team, but uh, it tells the story of uh, how um, unstable they're, they're, they could be. Mm. Uh, but if they're, if they're if Camora Nessi and Valeri are playing a good game, I think they have a, they have a chance to beat yeah. Boca. But I, I somehow like Boca. They're... Try and um, they're kind of getting into a new rhythm with Riquelme back. Uh, yeah, Falcioni. Although one of the things that Falcioni said um, after subbing Palermo off again at the weekend was that Palermo is the captain and the starter, yeah. Yeah. so he will be playing again. I mean, um, but Falcioni definitely seems to have got the measure of this Boca team now and and have kind of. With with finally playing Riquelme as a playmaker and everything, he seems to have realised that there's only so far he can go with trying to stamp his own authority on the team and that he has to make some concessions to be fair um, we, we make fun of Palermo a lot but what you hear is that he's extremely professional in training and he's a big mm. influence on the team and he's a leader of the team yeah I heard one of the previous coaches talking in the last couple of weeks saying I would I would still have him in the team as well like you yeah. know if you're around the team and, and you know what a big uh, influence he is on the team and everything but the problem is that's all very good and well but since Boca are playing five three one one at the moment, he's a sole striker. Like he can be the biggest presence in the team, the biggest you know work working the hardest. But if your lone striker can't get your goals, he can't be in the team. Yeah, yeah, but I think he deserves it. I mean, this is his his last lap. I mean, yeah. he's gonna retire at the end of the tournament. Going around it, yeah. So he, he's the top scoring the, the the top scorer in the history of the club, mm. and I think he deserves to go on a run like this and and for the crowd and the manager and the teammates to have patience on him because he saved them so many times over the years yeah, yeah. he worked uh, more than all the other players in the team combined I think uh, it will be a lack of respect to drop in and not to play him for the rest of the tournament so this, actually, is us, yeah, this is us heartless um, <laughs> Anglos coming I forgot about the passion aspect yeah. though. he actually took away some of the heat of his own performance of course on, um, on Sunday by <laughs> distracting from another poor performance by leaving the pitch with an Estudiantes shirt on after swapping yeah, around their own. <laughs> to clarify for our listeners who probably don't know the, the majority of them aren't probably as aware of Martin Palermo's career trajectory as they say in Spanish but he, he started out at Estudiantes before and he's uh, a fan yeah he's precisely a fan um, and, and so there was quite a, a lot of the Boca fans got very upset about the fact that he was treacherous enough let's say uh, to, to swap shirts with an Estudiantes player before leaving the pitch with him but he, he was explaining today oh I didn't want to walk down the tunnel without a shirt on at all because the referee might have given me my fifth yellow card and got me suspended which makes me wonder why he took the shirt off because he had to take his Boca shirt off in order to swap with Veron but yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's that kind of thing, this you know. Everybody, kind of they even, they're even thing. jumping on him for that. There was a previous episode in which Palermo said in a press conference that he would love to play for Estudiantes, 
on loan. Of course, yeah, I remember this. At the FIFA Club yeah. World Cup, when the Estudiantes then lost the final to Barcelona. And, and this was, I think, after a journalist had prompted him to say it, because there was some doubt about whether Estudiantes would have two fit strikers to take with them or something. And so yeah. he said, well, if they needed me, then... Yeah. So some Boca fans took offence of that, but I think he everything was forgiven until Sunday night, in which a couple of uh, fans from the Platea, or the, the, the seats, the, the, one of the most expensive uh, seats, uh, complain about it because he left the, t the, the the pitch wearing the red and white yeah, stripes. This is a controversy on a par with I don't know Wayne Rooney swearing or something. It's <laughs> kind of nothing to do with yeah it's, it's anything. It's a you know the media beat up. And, and yeah, a lot of people end up talking about it. Yes, um, including us. Yeah, yeah, but we are more serious because other other <laughs> other other pod, the other serious shows, Argentine yeah, football. No, but I'm, I'm serious because other shows like the show the show del football, which is a pathetic Sunday night, it's fantastic. It's a guilty it's pleasure. Fantastic. It's one of my guilty pleasures. But they yeah. started the the show uh, talking about that and nothing about the the parity on the league of the league and River winning with a beautiful goal and whatever. Mm. They want to find the. the the controversy and the problems, you know? Yeah. I've just looked at my watch and been quite startled by the amount of time we've been talking for. And the pod is very much back on the powered by Fernet Branca stage of things after last week's very sober episode. So I apologise for what may turn out to be an hour and a half long podcast to our listeners after I've edited it down from the approximately four and a half hours we've been talking. <laughs> um, but I think for now, for, for this week at least, um, I'll I'll say goodbye and I'll leave I'll leave our others to say goodbye as well. Seba. Hasta luego, gracias. Australian Dan. Ciao, Pancho. And English Dan. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao, Pancho. Bye, bye, hot dogs. <laughs>